Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers. Come on. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. Let me pause for a second. Call to live. My God. If you're alive, you might as well live. And what? Live what? Live your life that you were called to live. That means in living the life you were called to live, you may at sometimes have to rebel against the expectations of other people who are trying to get you to live their life. And then commanded to love. So much that takes place in our current culture is connected to mean-spiritedness and hateful attitudes. But when you learn to love beyond the limits of your prejudice, you are saying that you are willing to participate in the abolition of the barriers that separate you from other people. And then lastly, you are commissioned to serve. I don't care how much you get in life. I don't care how much money you make in life. I don't care how many degrees you get in life. The highest calling you could ever have is to serve another human being. What good is it to have all those things and live a shallow life? What good is it to have all those things and people who come around you with your things are not changed by you? Commission to serve. So FCBC for our visitors. How do we say it? We live. Boy, y'all made me feel good. All right. All right. Remain standing. I want to go to Pat. This is Hope Center. Lena gave me, sent me an email. I take direction well. You know, Lena sent me an email. Pastor, these are the points and the things you may need to consider. <laughs> and some words that you may want to consider. In, in as you prepare for Sunday. And so I did consider that. And I used them to frame. <laughs> I tried to stay serious, but I used them to frame an idea of something I want to deal with today that I think is connected to our mental well-being. Amen. So if you would, turn with me to the book of Second Kings. Second Kings, and bear with me today. I'm going to try to get out of here as quick as possible. <laughs> Y'all know I say that just to get permission. I'm just, all I need is one pe person to say, take your time. That's it. You need one. Once I get the one, we go on. Second Kings 6, beginning at verse 11 and ending at verse 17. What a powerful story. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Here's how it reads. The mind of the king of Aram, that's Syria today, 
was greatly perturbed because of this. He called his officers and said to them, Now tell me who among us sighs with the king of Israel. Then one of his officers said, No one, my lord king. It is Elisha, the prophet in Israel, who tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. He said, Go and find where he is. I will send and seize him. He was told he is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots there and a great army that came by night and surrounded the city. When an attendant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. His servant said, Alas, master, what shall we do? He replied, this is Elisha, do not be afraid. For there are more with us than there are with them. Then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant and what he saw. The mountain was full of horses chariots of fire all around Elisha. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you today and we honor you today, oh God, for this time. God, we thank you for hope. We thank you for the Hope Center. A place, oh God, where people can heal on purpose and evolve, grow, expand. We thank you, God, for this season. For even in the midst of what seems like tumultuous times, you keep a ram in the bush. So we thank you for the rams, oh God, in the bushes of our lives that remind us that there's always an alternative way of showing up and being in this place. We love you, God. We honor you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read that again, but I had to acknowledge this. Let me shout out my babies in the building. You know, there was a time where mothers would be in church with their babies and babies start crying. And, and watch this. Church has created a whole space, some outside the sanctuary, where the mothers could go and, and calm their babies down. And in my 18 years, I've never said to let a mother leave with their child. Uh-uh. If you can't handle the sound of life, you need to leave. I said every dedication Sunday, children are a sign that God still trusts us with the future. Amen? So don't worry about that baby, because none of y'all may say, say anything when I'm preaching. Them baby going to let me know, because I can interpret baby talk. Because when they start crying preaching, what they say, preach, Pastor Mike. Let me read that again. <laughs> I love being at FCBC. Y'all don't even understand. Lord have mercy. 2 Kings 6, 11 through 17. Y'all going to sit down soon. Somebody saying, yeah, I love it too, but can I sit down? 
The mind of the king of Aram was greatly perturbed because of this. He called his officers and said to them, Now tell me who among us sides with the king of Israel. Then one of his officers said, No one, my lord king. It is Elisha, the prophet in Israel, who tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. He said, Go and find where he is. I will send and seize him. He was told he is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots there and a great army. They came by night and surrounded the city. When an attendant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. His servant said, Alas, master, what shall we do? He replied, Do not be afraid, for there are more with us than there are with them. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he saw. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Amen? Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. You take your seat. This morning, I want to talk for the next little while about this thought. Notes from a second sight. S-I-G-H-T. Notes from a second sight. The king of Aram is angry because if you take time later maybe and read the preceding verses to verse 11, you'll discover that the king's anger in his mind, is justified. And why is it justified? Because it appears that every time he makes a plan to attack the people of Israel, somehow the army of Israel gets the jump on the king. I mean, the king is angry. He is besides himself. And the scripture says in those preceding verses, Every time the king of Aram tried to attack, the attack was thwarted. It was stopped. Israel found out. And in the king's mind, somebody in my team has to be betraying me. How could Israel know every time I raise up to attack? One of the servants of the king of Aram said to him, King, no one has betrayed you. It's not really, this is my translation, a matter of betrayal. It's really, and he doesn't say this, but I want to say this. It's a matter of gift. No one here is betraying you. But Israel got somebody on their team. By the name of Elisha, Rashi who knows the very thoughts that you speak to yourself when you're in your room. This prophet has insight and foreknowledge. It's his gift. And it might seem like somebody's betraying you, but no, his gifts are informing Israel of your plans. I, I got to pause a minute before I get to the heart of this, but but know this, gifts 
that are not used selfishly often upset those who are not benefiting from your gifts. I hope you capture this. See, I know there's some of us in here this morning, and you are aware and keenly aware that there are certain gifts that you possess, and you can't be ashamed of it. Our, our climate doesn't always help us affirm our gifts, especially if our gifts are shrouded in uniqueness. Isn't it amazing how we want to celebrate that everybody does the same thing? But to be unique, to stand out, is often shunned in this current cultural moment. And if you have gifts that are unique, everybody will not celebrate. So you cannot be upset when you share your gift and don't get the response you think you should get. Because sometimes the people closest to you are the ones who have the biggest problem with the uniqueness of your gift. I hope you got that this morning. Elisha's gifts upset the king of Aram because his gifts thwarted the king's plans. And so the king said, where is he? They say, Dothan. The king then gets an army, horses, chariots to go and apprehend Elisha. Can I say this? There is an insanity connected to anger. Have you noticed that when you are angry, that often decisions made in anger are not often rational or logical? See, this is my confession, folk, this morning. How many times have you regretted decisions you made when you were angry? How many times have you regretted things you said when you were angry? And the problem is you had to do double duty to restore fractured relationships to explain that it was your anger, not your heart, that spoke. Anger has a way of birthing levels of irrational behavior. What do you mean? Because watch this. This is simple. I won't, I won't belabor the moment. The king of Aaron was told that the prophet knows your secret thoughts. And he thought somehow the prophet wouldn't know that he was getting an army to send to apprehend the prophet. The man just told you that the prophet knows the things you think when you by yourself in your bedroom. But somehow now, he's not going to be aware of the plans you have to apprehend him. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And so, with this irrational move to send an army to capture a man who knows you're coming, he decides to send the army and the chariots to a person who knows what is going down. Now, he sends them to surround Elisha with the intention of apprehending him and bringing him to the king of Aram, the servant of Elisha, gets up one morning, walks outside where they were staying, and to his surprise, 
he sees the army of the king of Aram surrounding him and Elisha. And rightfully so, the servant, the messenger, the attendant of Elisha is terrified. What shall we do, Elisha? They got us surrounded. Elisha says, don't be afraid. The problem is not the surrounding army. The problem is that you need a second sight. You'll get this in a minute. The army ain't the problem. The problem is how you see what's around you. Gosh, think about that. I mean, in a word, he's telling the servant, it's about your perspective. It's not about the army. They're going to do what they were sent to do. But what do you see? And that man could not see past what he perceived as an adversarial situation. All he could see is that they were surrounded by the army and that they were in trouble. If not death, he had to be panicking. I thought about that for a second, Dr. Green. And, 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 and isn't it amazing that the attendant of Elisha has had a front row seat on Elisha's gifts. He's seen Elisha help to deliver Israel out of the attempts of, of, of destruction by the king of Aram. And now when he's surrounded, he forgets who he's connected to. Oh, I hope you catch this, beloved. He allows the negative situation and his fear to shape his disposition and how he sees life. You see, when I think about that, that's not strange. All of us in here, not some, all of us in here have been guilty of allowing ourselves to focus on the negative. At some point in your journey, I need some honest folk this morning who can say that there have been moments in your life where you found yourself being caught up in all the negative, let me see them hands, all the negative things, see, look at that, around you. You looked at the negative, you focused at the negative, you listened to the negative, and the negative started now uh, infusing itself in your mind, and then you internalized the negative, and then your lenses were shaped by the negativity so that no matter how much positive was around you, you could only see the negative. And here it is, here that you know this, that you yourself, you can do 12, good things and you get one bad comment against the one bad thing you may have done and now that one negative comment against the one bad thing becomes the way you begin to see yourself and you yourself forget the 12 great things you've done and you fixate on the negative comment from the one person about the one thing you've done that could be perceived as negative. I know I'm not talking to myself here this morning. And you found your whole day upset. Have you ever had that experience where your day was going fine until you heard that one negative comment and it through off your entire day, you encountered that one negative situation, that one negative person, and it discombobulated, dislodged, disoriented you in such a way that all you could think about for the rest of the time you had was that negative circumstance, that negative event, that negative person, or those negative words. 
And then you hear somebody like me saying that right now. And then internally, I'm going to see who can be honest. Right now, you're starting to tell yourself, why in the world do I keep letting that happen to me all the time? I keep falling in the trap when there's so many positive things in my life. I continue to allow those negative things to take center stage in my life with all the good things I've done. And then you start pep talking yourself. I'm a good person. I've done great things. And I sit here and I let that one thing mess me up. And then watch what happens. Pretty soon it goes from questioning to beating yourself over the head. Why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep finding myself here? Why do I keep engaging these people? Why do I keep falling into these bad relationships? Why do I keep hanging out with these folks who are going to get me in nothing but trouble? And pretty soon the negative people turns into a negative perception and then you see yourself negatively. Why? That's the real question. Why? Then you start thinking maybe something wrong with me. Why do I keep doing this to myself, torturing myself, beating up myself? There's an answer. I would like to share it this morning. And hopefully the answer will be the beginning of the healing. Here's what I've discovered, Pastor Trey. Scientists, neurologists, and even some psychologists believe in something called the negativity bias. I hope you get this phrase. I'm going to be a little teachy for about five minutes, but you better write some of this down. Put it in your notes. The negativity bias. Somehow, and for some reason, the memory of the bad negative events are stronger than the good positive events. And the culprit is the negativity bias. Here's what the negativity bias is. It has its roots in biological and neurological origins. The negativity bias is an adaptive evolutionary function. Now, this sounds like a big word, but bear with me. Adaptive evolutionary function. In other words, along our evolution as human beings, we evolved to notice and respond more forcibly to the negative. Since in the prehistoric days, or even in some of the days of some of our ancestors, right? That negativity bias helped to save lives. C can I help you for a second? I'm going to speak about my ancestors in Africa for a second. Greatness came from that continent. But here's what I want to tell you. I had a firsthand encounter with the negativity bias in South Africa. I mean, I experienced it here, but there it was different. Those of us who went to South Africa now, Lord, some years ago, oh gosh, pandemic make you lose track of years. We, 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 we were in 
uh, a place called Etabini Preserve. And you know, it was my first time there. And for many of us who grew up in New York, our, our idea of a preserve is like, I don't know if they still do it now, but you remember back in the days at Great Adventure, you could get in your car and drive through an area where all the animals were. And it was strange because you made sure one, doors locked, windows up, right? Because now you were coming face to face with these animals who were coming up to the car. Now, in that environment, Laverne, as a little boy, I was amazed by it. But when we were in Africa, something different happened. Because there was no windows. <laughs> there were no doors. We just sitting there uncovered. And everything is cool when you're going to see antelope, you know, warthog. But on our second day there, they told us we're going to where the predators are. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> predators like how? Lions, cheetah, leopards. Hippos. And so, you know, I asked the, 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 the ranger who was driving our, our car, our Jeep. I said, and this is real talk. I was like, so let me ask you a question. Do, do, do y'all do, do have guns? I got to hurry up, though. Shotguns. My man said to me, I said, no, I don't need that. Rashi hit me with this. This is me and Rashi for saying. He said, I don't need a gun. I speak their language. You know, I'm quick. I came back and I said, I ain't bilingual, bro. You may speak it, but I don't speak it. So what happens when they come close and want to have a conversation? We go down into the valley, and all of a sudden, my antennas are up. I'm now paying attention to the rustling of brush. <laughs> Unseen movement in the trees. Sounds that I ain't never heard before. Because I'm trying to figure out what's going on. We were about a mile away from the alpha male lion who roared, and I thought he was next to me. <laughs> I ain't caught it yet. In that environment, in a truck, I then looked over to my mother, I believe, or Reverend, I said, can you imagine if you were living in this environment? How, how, much you had to pay attention to the signs of danger around you so that you could save yourself? Oh, man. Watch this. You see, that's the gift from the evolution because there was a time where to survive, you had to process what you perceived as negative situations. 
quickly. Because watch this, it was more important to escape the negative situation than to approach the positive opportunity. I hope you get this. So, so that evolution has been handed down. So in the process of my ancestors, here's what had to happen. Their brains and our brains were hardwired to pay more attention to the negative for life-saving reasons. Okay, y'all ain't convinced. Okay, they're going to make me work harder. There is a region in the temporal cortex of your brain called the amygdala. It's the core of the neural system for processing fearful and threatening stimuli, including detection of threat and activation of appropriate fear related to threatening or dangerous stimuli. That amygdala regulates emotions. Here's the part you gotta get. I know this sounds real heavy, watch this. And encodes memories especially when it comes to your emotional responses. The amygdala, let me say it again, it shapes and regulates response and stores memories connected to negative responses. Why? Because the mind and the brain are constantly trying to download information for the sake of survival. And the brain seeks to protect itself from these adversarial situations. Our brains are wired to process negativity quicker than it does positive events. Okay, okay, okay. Our brains imprint the negative quicker so that we can then make quicker decisions to survive. The brain immediately imprints negativity. But then scientists believe it takes, takes around 12 seconds or so to take a positive situation, move it from short-term buffers to long-term memory. Oh, man, y'all get this. Your brain, well, no, let me give it to you this way. The amygdala that processes emotions and fear uses two-thirds of its neurons to look for bad news. Got to get this. In other words, the scientists have perceived in a negative situation, there's more brain activity than in positive ones. Why? Because your brain is trying to download it quicker for protection and survival. Hold on, you mean to tell me that my tendency to fixate on the negative is biological and neurological? Hold on, see, I had to say that so that you stop beating yourself up so much and understand that what's at work ain't just your emotions, it's something going on in you with your brain trying to protect you from the negative that's around you. If you understood that it was your brain protecting, you don't beat yourself in the head for thinking about the negative. I'm gonna get to you in a second. If the negativity bias is left unchecked, 
It can be an impediment to happiness and your quality of life. I want you to get this. It doesn't mean that you just fixate on the negative. Something neurological is happening that causes you to imprint the negative quicker than the positive. And you ask yourself, why can't I just focus on the positive? Because it takes 12 seconds longer for your brain to move from short-term buffer of the positive to long-term memory. But negative instantly imprints into your system for the sake of protection. Hope you hear this. So here it is. I'll be done. So then, if this is the case, if I have almost a natural proclivity to focus on the negative, even if it's for survival purposes, how do I deal with this? So I don't let the negative circumstances destroy me psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. I'm glad you asked. Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you a few things on how you deal with it. One, awareness. For some of us in here today, this is the first time you've heard this, which means the awareness of it and knowing your tendencies to fixate on the negative can help you better face the next crisis. To be aware of it is the beginning of the breakthrough. To be aware of it is the beginning of the shifting of perspective. To know that I have a proclivity to focus on the negative rather than the positive, that awareness is the beginning. Because I know in some ways to go against this, I have to fight against my natural tendencies. You hear me today? One. Two. It's what a, a, a scholar, uh, uh, Dr. Yeager from Ohio State University, the, 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 I think it's the Wexner School of Medicine. He says this, I'm going to put it the fancy way. He said that maybe to overcome the negativity bias, we have to have a cognitive restructuring, Dr. Green. That sounded good, didn't it? I'm going to come work for you. Right. A cognitive restructuring. Y'all looking at me, that sounds good. Let me change it. When negative news or negative circumstances arise, reframe the situation linguistically. Y'all ain't got it yet? Okay. Stop engaging in negative self-talk. Restructure the situation in a way that doesn't deepen the anxiety created by the negative situation. Can I give an example? Something bad happens. Here you go. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. No. Cognitive restructuring. Flip the sentence. This time it'll take me longer to get out of this situation than it did the last one. Oh, you missed that. Okay. Something negative happens that you do. I'm so stupid for doing this. Restructure that. I can do better at handling this situation. See, this ain't for everybody. 
what you have to do is change the way you language the situation so that you can understand how to face it. You cannot face the negative situation if you're busy destroying yourself and beating yourself down. So you have to change the way you frame the situation. You have to change the way you talk about it, change the way you talk about you, change the way you say things, change the way you act towards things, or you will simply deepen the depression, deepen the anxiety, deepen the pain. So you have to be intentional about how you speak. Pause for a second. Instead of saying, I, I can't believe I'm in this situation again. Try this. I got another chance to get it right. It changes how you engage the situation. Cognitive restructuring. And I got to give you, I, I didn't have four, but I'm going to give you three because we got to get out of here. There's three. I, I, I learned this. What well, is four, but I get four before we leave today. I get four after the sermon. Three. One, awareness. Two, cognitive restructuring. Change the way you talk about the situation. And three, here's the one that's going to do it. If I know that I am, my natural proclivity is to the negative, some scientists believe that to overcome the negative, you have to defeat it by a three-to-one ratio. What does that mean? For every negative, I got to recall three positives to defeat the one negative. Y'all not with me this morning. Huh? Now, the problem is not in whether or not you can do it. The issue is have you learned to savor and celebrate the positive moments? Because savoring it means when that positive comes or happens, don't quickly gloss over it. Bask in it. Drink of it. Let it saturate your very being. Keep talking about it. And here's the thing, not just to other people, but to yourself. Oh, man, I'm going somewhere this this morning. That means that you have to have a storehouse of positive memories, Darnell, that you can tap into to replay the positive events in your mind. So that when the negative starts to arrive, you got the counterbalance to the negative situations. You got a storehouse. In order to have a storehouse, that means you have to be intentional about remembering. To be intentional about remembering, you got to keep repeating. All right, you didn't get that. Let me try another way to hit you and then I'll be gone. People like to say, the only thing guaranteed in life, you know, to say two things, what? Taxes and death. Well, we learned a long time ago that taxes for some people are optional. <laughs> so the only thing really guaranteed, I'm going to help you, and then we're going to be gone, y'all, is death. Y'all with me? Y'all sleep on me in the balcony, watch this. Only thing guaranteed is death. You know this. You arrive and then you depart. And that is life. If I know that the only thing guaranteed is death, 
That means every day I'm alive is a gift. Hold on. And every day I'm alive is grace. Every day is filled with grace and gift. You got to get this. The problem is we so overlook grace and gift that we give more attention to negativity than the grace and the gift that we experience every day. Some years ago, I've shared this story before, and I'll be quick, I'll be done, and I actually am done, is this, that I went to a, a mental health facility years ago in, in Butner, North Carolina, when I lived in North Carolina. I took students there, and we went to the, in, the, in this facility with people who were severely, severely had, had mental, mental uh, cognitive issues, right? And I took the students there because we'd do worship service. Because I wanted them to understand that, that this world doesn't have people that you may call, quote, unquote, and I hate this word, but who are okay or, or quote, unquote, normal. And, 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 and those folk, you need to stop looking at as those folk. They're us. And so we ought to be able to celebrate and bring that same gift of praise and worship no matter where we are. And so we went there, and we always give time for devotional or testimony. And there was a young man there. All right. He, 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 he was in a wheelchair and you can see he has some serious physical challenges and also emotional challenges. And sometimes it took him a little bit longer to get the words out when he had to say something. And so it was testimony time. And 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 and, and he told the person who was helping him that he wanted to say something. And so he started to share in his in his struggle of the of the words getting him out. And, and, and here's what he said. I will not say how he said it because that would be mimicry and sometimes mocking. But here's what he said. He said, this morning was the first time I have ever been able to tie my own shoe. I want you to get this. Now, when he said that, tears came to my eyes because I thought of how many times I took tying my shoe for granted. But those of you who've been on your back in a hospital before know that being in a hospital is a stark reminder that the little things, oh God, mean a lot. And so the problem is not that you have more positive memories, you don't savor them as much. But the old folk knew. I don't know if they knew about negative, negativity bias, but I knew they knew how to celebrate the things we overlook. Grandma would say, he woke me up this morning and started me on my way. He put food on my table, a roof over my head clothes on my body. She understood that it's the little things that mean a lot. And can I give you the fourth thing message I wanted? I shared this with the Inward Journey on Friday. If you haven't done this yet, and you're trying to fight the negativity bias in you, here's what I told the Inward Journey folk. Get a brand new journal. Some of y'all already did this. And, and starting tomorrow, if you don't have it, and you haven't done it, Start keeping a gratitude journal. Hold on. Every day you wake up, before anything happens, 
You write down what you're grateful for. I need you to build up a storehouse of positive things you can lean into when that negative stuff comes your way. You got to be able to say, Lord, I'm grateful for just being alive. I'm grateful for standing up right now. I'm grateful to be in the sanctuary of God. I'm grateful to be here with my brothers and sisters. I'm grateful. I'm done. But watch this. Y'all know I got a granddaughter now. Lord have mercy. And she don't even realize that at two and a half months, she already got me wrapped around her finger. This is my new baby. But new babies have a tendency to make you reflect on old memories. I started thinking about my children, my son, Pastor Trey, and my daughter, Jasmine. And a memory came to mind when I was reading this text. You know, one of the earliest lessons you get from parents sometimes is this. Somebody gives you something, you're supposed to say what? Uh-oh. I'm trying to get When somebody gives you something, you're supposed to say thank you. You're teaching the child this act of gratitude. There's going to come a point in my granddaughter's life where her dad is going to have to tell her and teach her. If somebody gives you something, you ought to say what? Okay, y'all ain't with me yet. Now, I've gone through parenting. How many parents we got in here? Y'all watch this. Watch this. And how many parents went through the act of teaching their children to say what? How many parents went through that? All right. Watch this. <laughs> Here's your child. Somebody gives your child something. They go to take it. And before they walk away, what do you say? What do you say? Y'all missed that. You tell your child, what do you say? And then your child remembers, thank you. Y'all ain't catch it yet? If you know how to teach your child that, why is it so hard for you to do it? When you wake up tomorrow morning, what do you say? When you make your way down to work tomorrow, what do you say? When you leave this church today and leave, what do you say? Every single moment of your life, you ought to be thankful for everything that God has done in your life. I almost lost my mind. What do you say? Friends left me, but God never left me. What do you say? People turn their backs on me, but God has always been there. Okay, I'm done, y'all. I got it. Now you can take that lesson and go. But, oh, I almost forgot the story. <laughs> Elijah prayed. Elisha prayed, God, give my servant eyes to see. He prayed. And the servant opened his eyes. Can I help you? And the servant saw what Elisha always saw. Uh-oh. The reason why Elisha didn't run when he heard that the king was trying to seize him was because he saw what no one else saw. Why run when you know you're protected? 
Oh, God. Why worry when you know you're protected? Why fret when you know you're protected? Elisha was not worried because he knew he was protected. You got a God who surrounds the stuff that surrounds you. You missed that. You have a God who deals with those who try to deal with you. And if you got a God like that, every time you think about the goodness of God, you ought to show gratitude in that morning for every moment that God saves you. You got to remember that you are protected. That impulse to negativity is real. But you have more than enough experiences to counter the negative. You got a God who surrounds the things that try to surround you. You, you can't walk around talking about I'm a child of God and then forget that you're protected. God is going to do God's work. Your responsibility is, watch this, remember what has been done. A three to one ratio? No. For every one negative event, I got a lifetime of positive outcomes. Here it is. In that gratitude journal, write down the moment you remember deliverance. Write down the times you thought you were going to lose it all. And God restored your hope. Remember those moments where you felt alone. And then there was a still small voice that said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Write it down. So that when that one person says something negative to disrupt your day, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. You will not get victory today in my mind. God has been too good for me to me to let you disrupt my peace, my joy, my happiness. You have the tools at your disposal to correct your own misery to beat back and defeat your own depression in some ways. Think about all that has happened. The things you overlook. God, this morning, I got up. Pause. If you can't shout off of that, something wrong. God, after I got up, I stretched. If you can't shout off of that. I got up out of a bed. A bed? And you can't shout off of that? A bed in my apartment. Apartment? And you can't shout off of that? I went to the bathroom. A bathroom? In your apartment? And you can't shout? Off of that, God, I brush my teeth. You mean your arm works? 
You mean you had enough to get toothpaste? Then you left there and went to the kitchen. A kitchen? With all the folk who wish they had your kitchen and wish they had your bathroom and wish they had your apartment, but you can't find a reason to rejoice? I went and fixed myself something to eat. You fixed it. You had it. You made it. And then you ate it. And you get to church and tell me I ain't got nothing to praise God about. Before you got to this church at 11, God already blew your mind for the whole day. You have all the weapons necessary to defeat your own negativity bias. Oh, I get the psalmist. This morning you was at breakfast. I don't even know what you had. I know what I had. And this morning, thinking about this sermon, I thought about what I was eating and what I wanted to talk about. And, and, and the words came to mind, Laverne, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you've ever been hungry, you know how to shout when your belly is full. Taste and see. The Lord is good. Beloved, you have more than enough reasons to rejoice. You just have to remember it. You have more than enough experiences to counter the negativity. You just have to remember it. I know I've been a little long today. And I know the team got to, you know, let me just help you out. Fade this out so we can get the recording ready. You got more than enough reasons, beloved. So here's what you know today. One, there is some kind of tendency in you to fixate on the negative. And in that moment, now the question is, what will you employ to counteract that fixation? Because you start coming talking about things ain't going right, boy, stop. Don't tell me what ain't going right. Tell me about the 50 things that went, that went right today. Not what's going wrong, but what's going right. Right now, I just gave you 10 things. And some of us more than that, that happened before you got to church. You're going to let one negative moment, one negative comment, one negative person disrupt all that celebration? No, stop it. Change your habits. Engage in cognitive restructuring. Change your language to be able to combat and always put hope on the agenda so that you can heal on purpose and what? Evolve. Come on, stand on your feet today, beloved. We, we, we got, we're going to go, and, and if you just give me three minutes, we'll get out of here. I want to I do a prayer, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. And as we're being dismissed, I'll tell you how we're dismissing. There's going to be a video playing. So as we're dismissing, pay attention to the video because the video will give you good information about the Hope Center. But I want to pray this prayer for those of you because I, I can't talk about anybody else. I can talk about myself. I know how powerful that negativity bias has been in my life. Because sometimes that negativity bias 
is there, but it's also traumas you've experienced. And, and real painful events that keep resurfacing and resurfacing. And I tell people that those painful experiences, those traumas, have a way of hitting you like this. They cover. You can only see those things. You don't always see beyond it. But my God, if you have a catalog, let me put it this way. You see this book, the Bible? It's designed for many things, but in many ways, it's a collective history of other people's experience with God. And can I tell you this? You have your own experience. If you actually sat to write down the things you've experienced with God, they have to expand the Bible. Because each of us have our own experiences. If you can refer to this book in times of distress, what happens when you walk with this book and your gratitude journal? Where instead of going to Proverbs 30, you can go to April 21st, 1989 and say on this day, this is why I was thankful. I can go to February 5th, 2022 and look up on that day, this is why I was grateful. To remind myself, I do know how to celebrate my joyful moments. So as we pray, you don't have to ask God to bless you. You blessed. God ain't gonna stop being God. God, give me the strength to remember so that my memory can counter all the pain I've experienced and will experience. It doesn't mean there won't be a need for help. And it doesn't mean you won't need people to navigate your journey. It doesn't mean you don't need to go see a Dr. Green and others in a Hope Center. But it means that you have a way to participate in your own healing. To remember. I want to remember God. That's your prayer. Let's go to God. God, thank you today for this season. For this time that you've given us. Thank you, God, because the truth is when we break down life in its simplest terms, every moment is grace and gift. Every moment is an opportunity to remember all that has transpired for the good in my life and in our lives. That memory of the positive can beat back any negative memory. It doesn't mean the pain will go away. It doesn't mean that it isn't real or doesn't linger. But it does mean I got a reservoir to tap into. So that those moments of remembering the bad don't become lifetimes and months. God, you have already done more than I could imagine. The ratio is more than three to one. For you giving us a lifetime of reasons to rejoice. We thank you, God. We love you, Lord. We honor you. And it's in your name we pray. And we say amen. amen. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.